0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Table Talk. I'm your host, Jonas Ellison. I'm a writer and a seminarian at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, Illinois. I'm preparing for Word and Sacrament Ordained Ministry in the Lutheran Church, but currently I am a seminarian. I am not a trained, ordained minister, so please know that, um, you know, I might break things. I'll try not to. I'll try not to break anything here theologically, but I might. You know, I'm still in training, so... Just want to say that up front. Um, on these shows, what I do is I rant a little bit, and then I dig into what's currently in season on the menu of the revised Common Lectionary. If you're familiar with the Lectionary, then you know what that is. If you don't, if you're not familiar with what that is, it's basically the weekly readings we do, at least in my denominational neck of the woods, every week. Um, if you just Google "revised Common Lectionary," that'll take you right to likely the Vanderbilt site that has. Each week's readings. And that's the NRSV New Revised Standard Version uh, of those. And uh, that's what I walk through. That's kind of what I use every week. So, welcome. Um, I want to start off by just chatting a little bit about kind of what's going on. You know, it is pandemical times. We are in pandemical times. And um, I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you healthy and warm and sheltered and safe and sane because it is kind of insane times, you know? We are physically disconnected, uh, hopefully not socially disconnected, but definitely physically disconnected and for all the the right reasons, I would say. I have noticed how easy it is, though, to, to scapegoat. Oh, that's This is always. I think it's kind of a human thing to scapegoat, especially, but especially in times like, like this, times of chaos or um, uh, grief, um, uphe- upheaval. You know, it's easy to, 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 to scapegoat. This is just kind of the mechanism that humans use to bring temporary peace to a situation they might not have control over. And we all do it, and... It's only scapegoating if you don't know you're doing it. So if you know you're doing it, it's not scapegoating anymore. It's, it's something else. I don't know what you would call that. But it's only scapegoating if you're unconscious of the fact that you're scapegoating. So I just, you know, I, I hang out on the social webs just because, you know, I live nowadays and it's hard not to. I've tried to disconnect many times from the Facebooks and Instagrams and Twitters Out there, but it's really hard Um, And I don't know if it's even necessary You know, I'm kind of like going back and forth Do I disconnect? And when I disconnect, I feel kind of out of touch Um, But then when I reconnect I'm like kind of butting up against all these crazy political Or or partisan, I guess you should say I'm trying to, by the way I'm trying to differentiate more between like political and partisan I think political is who we are I think politics... People will say, like, let's not get political I think it's impossible to not be political Political is just kind of speaking of our life together Our communal life Um, Partisan is when you say Democrat or Republican Usually in America, standards And I see a lot of partisan stuff going on Um, That seems to be the religion of the day Uh, Partisanship So that is what is most, is the loudest And that is usually how we scapegoat, you know Uh, people from the right will scapegoat people from the left, and vice versa. I do it all the time. I happen to fall full disclosure on the political or the partisan left, and I find myself scapegoating folks on the right uh, quite a bit. And I feel justified in that, but I also know how that goes. So, and I, I also know how it might bring temporary peace to a situation when you find a scapegoat, and Um, you kind of either figuratively or literally push that scapegoat off a cliff or eliminate that scapegoat, it brings temporary peace. But that peace is temporary. So uh, some say that that's what the gospel is about, is ending scapegoating, Jesus as the final scapegoat. And I think that's really intriguing. If you want to look it up, it's Girardian, Rene Girard is their philosopher uh, who kind of heralded this, and he has since passed away, but his school of thought carries on into Girardian atonement theory. Um, You can just Google that up and find all kinds of stuff to keep you busy. But yeah, it's easy to do that nowadays, to scapegoat people, Um, whether it is a a partisan party. Is that right? Partisan party? (laughs) Um, Or just someone who hoards toilet paper and flour or someone who violates physical distancing protocol or vice versa. Maybe it's someone who is too stringent on the physical distancing purity culture of the day. Um, You know, it's endless how we scapegoat, but I just want to bring to mind if you might be doing that. I know I am, and I know it feels good, and I'm probably going to keep doing it, but I'm always going to try to be aware of that too, Uh, keep myself in check if possible. So, So there's that. Another thing I've noticed is that the grace is wearing off. And what I mean by that is early on in this pandemic, there was a lot of grace. It was like we're being hit by this worldwide global pandemic, and so you know, you hear this talk of um, people are, like eviction laws are being relaxed and foreclosure laws are being relaxed and disconnection, like for utility payments, you know, utility companies couldn't disconnect people. And I think that still, those, those laws are still in place. But just there was an overall sense of grace and mercy. I remember like my seminary professors were, and and they still are, but I mean, like, very, we're very like relaxed. Okay, you know, let's just get through this. Let's lower the bar. Everybody was talking about lowering the bar, um, but that was a month ago or so, and I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's, see, I'm scapegoating them. I'm who who were they? My professors or uh, you know whatever it is. Uh, but I'm just saying it's not them. They they are actually very merciful on us right now. But I'm just saying we just like internally are raising the bar. It's amazing how we do this. We just, we naturally raise the bar. Like when the pandemic first hit, a lot of people were like, okay, it's kind of like a Sabbath. Let's take some, let's take a break. Let's step back. It's impossible to get all the stuff done that we want to. Let's just do what we can and get through this. And now, especially since these dates keep moving further and further out, people are raising the bar well, I've got to do that. I got to perform now. I got to, you know, I got to step it up and, and really, uh, overperform and, um, overachieve in these areas of life. And it's becoming impossible. People are just burning themselves out already, you know, and, and working from home and taking care of kids and, or going into their, um, essential jobs and, working like crazy there for little pay. I mean, it's amazing uh, how impossible it is, almost, for us to lower the bar. And some of those forces that keep the bar raised are outside of ourselves, but I would say that it does emerge from an internal uh, propensity to raise the bar to unrealistic levels. So, yeah, I'm just noticing that, you know, people are just like, I'm getting email after email for let's do this zoom thing. Let's do that zoom thing. Let's do that zoom, like zoom, zoom, zoom. It's like, you guys just chill. Let's not plan something. Can we, can we not have a section of the day that, that is planned? Does every hour of every, or every minute of every day need to be scheduled as like an event or a, either work related or personal development related or even just a social like can't we just be bored <laughs> or just kind of sit for a while if if possible in those little windows that we can muster i feel like those are so sacred and it's so easy to fill those spaces with with stuff like like my daughter she's 6 and she had like five zoom meetings yesterday and a lot of that is our kind of our fault quote air quotes around fault like we just kind of sign her up for things and and we want to keep her busy which i think is good intentions but it's like man she was on the computer all day and she's six years old you know and then it's like very nice parents are like let's do a talent show and let's do this and let's do that and it's like these are all things you have to prepare for and and even though they're not, maybe not graded, it's still a level of performance that you have to meet. And it's just like we are incessant in raising the bar. And I hope that we can, you know, for however long this thing lasts, maybe we can take a step back while we can. I know it's not always possible, especially in our culture where we are individually responsible for bringing in the bacon as far as the income goes. Um, Yeah, we're getting a little help from From our government, but you know it's not much. So we're all kind of up to it's all up to us to do this, um, which is hard. But um, in those windows, those sacred windows, I hope we can keep the bar low. Like find solace (laughs) to where you can just watch Netflix for a while, or have a beer, you know, or do read a book, read a, a horrible cheesy novel. Um, that you want to, something, I don't know go for a walk, who knows, like something that requires no performances on your part yeah, so, yeah the grace is wearing off, and I'm really concerned not so much right now, I'm concerned when things get better, (laughs) I'm concerned about when the pandemic truly lifts which who knows when that's going to happen and there are no more excuses, if you will um And I would say it's not really an excuse, but that's for a different conversation. But yeah, when things quote unquote get better, then the bar will be raised even more, you know, Um, and it's going to be like, go, 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 produce, 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 consume, consume, consume. Yeah. Humans, what can I say? So thanks for that. Listening to my little rant there, just kind of like an, eh, like to start this thing with a little... Rant, you know, keep, you know, kind of share what's going on. So now we will jump into the lectionary. Um, it is the third Sunday of Easter, and I linked to the lectionary readings in the email that you got with this episode. If you are an email subscriber of mine, if not, you should be. Go to JonasAllison.com dot com and you can uh, you can subscribe. <laughs> but yeah, you got the link. Uh, below this, um, it's also on the website, the Substack, my blog website. Um, but this is Luke chapter twenty-four, verses thirteen through thirty-five, and it's kind of long. But this is the epic walk to Emmaus, the walk to Emmaus. So we're after the uh, the resurrection. You know, we're after Easter. And yeah, you know, Easter, like I said, I think I said last week, it is, I didn't realize this growing up because I was a kid and I didn't really care about the, we don't really, like, I think that the Roman Catholic church uses election. I know they use electionary. I think it's the same one as we do as ELCA Lutherans. But I didn't know there were like so many weeks of Easter when I was a kid. We didn't go to church a lot. So the whole thing that there are multiple weeks of Easter is is definitely a new thing for me. Um, yeah, but there's uh, five, six Sundays six Sundays of Easter, and then actually seven, seven Sundays of Easter, and then after the seven Sundays of Easter is like the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. E- anyway, it's multiple weeks, and we are in the third week of Easter right now, post resurrection. Um, And what we have here, the scene, I'm just going to kind of, maybe I'll read it, and I'll just kind of talk through it. That's what I'll do. All right, so, and this is the NRSV version, which is what we use. You can use whatever. If you want, like, a more colloquial or conversational version. By the way, for Bible stuff, not sure if you're aware, but Bible Gateway is kind of the go-to online Bible website, and they also have an app. But you can click it's really easy to use and you can click on whatever version you want I like I said I use NRSV the new revised standard version because that's what we use in the church but if you want like a super conversational one uh, and kind of a quirky one uh, I really like it some people kind of especially like theologians kind of like kind of like turn their nose up to it but it's the uh, the message version <laughs> uh, the message version. And that was written by Eugene Peterson, who's a late pastor and author of many, many books. Just a really great guy. But he's the one who kind of like went through the whole Bible and made it conversational. And apparently it's somewhat theologically astute, you know? Like I said, a lot of hardcore theologians kind of bicker about that. But but yeah, I'm going to be going off of NRSV, so... Without further ado, we're going to jump into the gospel um the walk to Emmaus after the resurrection starting with uh twenty four thirteen now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened, so they're walking on this road to Emmaus, and first of all, walking seven miles is a long way uh That's a long ways to walk from my house to downtown to the loop in Chicago. It's like five and a half miles. And that would take a long time. Seven miles take probably like all day. Anyway, they're walking to Emmaus. And um, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they don't know that this is Jesus, but it is. Also want to say that this people the the, the two folks walking the two guys walking on this path, it's Cleopas and an unnamed person. So this is like the apostolic B team. This is not these these two are not part of the elite uh, apostle who are currently up in the upper room, uh, terrified out of their minds. Um, what these two are, they're, they're kind of like one, they're part of like the mass following of Jesus back in the day. And, um, you know, it's kind of like unimportant people in the Bible, at least. So that's who it is, right? That's who kind of the story starts centers around. And then Jesus comes in, starts walking with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said, he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? So right here, he's kind of like punking them, right? He's kind of like, you guys totally don't know who I am. Um, And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? So Cleopas is like, dude, do you even know what just happened? Like our Messiah... The guy that we thought was our Messiah, basically like our Arnold Schwarzenegger type character, just got killed and ridiculed and buried, and um, we don't know what to do. I don't, you know, honestly, from my seminarian perspective, I don't know if they know about the resurrection at this point. They might, they might not. Basically, they're just, everything is like a daze right now. You know, Jesus, who they followed for a long time and they had so much hope in a lot of people like just kind of quit their jobs and left their families to follow Jesus because they thought he was going to basically whoop ass on the Roman uh occupiers and this happened the Roman occupiers uh put him to death so they're like what is going on and they're sad and they're depressed and they're scared and they don't know what to do So Jesus shows up and they're like, do you even know? Like, and he's like, why are you guys so sad? Kind of like, what are you talking about? And they're like, do you even know? And okay, I'm going to go on here. Verse 19. Um, He asked them what things they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. I love this, by the way. So they're telling, you know, they're basically telling Jesus, like, yeah, our Messiah just totally got killed and ridiculed. And then they're like, moreover, some women of our group astounded us. Like, these women who are basically nothing in our society right now, astounded actually did something crazy. Like, they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Um, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So, of course, the men have to, you know, they can't take the women's word for it. They have to go verify that, which they did. Then he said to them, um, this is Jesus. Who they don't know is Jesus. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. So he's telling them basically like you guys this had to happen. You know, if you look back at the at the prophets the prophecies like the Messiah had to die and be risen. That's what happened. What you know, like why are you so sad? Why are you so like how is this a shock to you? Um and so here we get into the and this is the whole Christian belief is that Jesus is kind of like all the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible were pointing to Jesus. Now, our Jewish siblings don't see it that way, and I say that is awesome. I don't think they should see it that like really I I ecumenical discussion, interfaith, whatever you want to call it, discussion is way more interesting when people come together and share their perspective fully, fully, boldly um, um, with each other um, in the same room, around the same table. And without trying to convince each other or uh, being offended that someone else thinks something differently, of course, when it gets to the point of someone trying to hurt someone else because of their beliefs, then, of course, that's offensive which christians have uh have not been um innocent about but that's another discussion. Um I don't know if anyone has been innocent but yeah. But no inter- like ecumenical uh discussion here is key and is interesting and is part of being human. But yeah, that's kind of what he's saying here. All like the hebrew bible points to him, points to this death and resurrection. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. So at this point, they still don't know that this is Jesus. They still are just terrified and confused and like, who is this stranger who just walked up and started telling us these crazy things? Like, who is this guy? And Jesus kind of lays it out for them and says like, basically, bam, this had to happen. This is inevitable. Jesus came to fulfill the law, the prophecies. Um, okay. The king of the village to which you were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. So, these two B-team, apostolic B-team members, invite this stranger, who is Jesus, in to stay with them. So they are the host, right? They are the host and they're inviting the stranger in. This has ties to immigration. Uh, we are in like, it's easy for Americans to be like, yes, you are welcome to our country. Come on in and stay the night. You know, we like, or not. Um, but see what happens here. This is like the mic drop moment. When he was at the table with them, Jesus, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. That is the gospel of the Lord. That is the end of the gospel. Wait, no, I'm sorry. Let's back up. Sorry, seminarian mistake. See, I'm I'm in training. I had to scroll down. Okay, so then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Yes, that is the mic drop. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Okay, so this changes. So this stranger they invited in switches immediately from being a guest to being the host. This stranger, this outcast, this weird guy, this strange looking figure comes in and it You know, and the two, they think that they're like the host and they're in charge and they're just extending some hospitality to this poor stranger. And then he breaks the bread, you know, he, he took, takes the bread, blesses and breaks it and gives it to them. And this is what Christ does. Changes from being the invited to the invitee, from the guest to the host. And this is kind of like what we do, like immigration wise, who is the host when we, when we bring people in, when, when people come in, I feel like if we swap that, the narrative to like, Oh wow. Yeah. Like we're all kind of guests, like, you know, the only true host is Christ. So, okay. So then, you know, they, they realize that this is, this is Jesus. Um, their their eyes are opened he vanishes and they say to each other, We're not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture. And this so, is like I love that hearts burning within them. Like they were walking with when when he was walking with them on the road, their conscious minds were skeptical. They were like, Who is this crazy person? But their hearts were burning. So this is like on the DNA cellular level. This the word of God in fleshed or Jesus, A.K.A. Jesus, has a resonance at our core that is eternal. It's always been the case. And when Christ, Christ is I see Christ as being like a timeless, eternal concept. Uh, it, it, God didn't start two thousand years ago. God is eternal. So. Christ has been around forever. If you, you know, if you look at John, John points to that concept, but um, but Jesus br- br- brings that into human form and when they were interacting with him, even when they didn't know it was him, consciously, their hearts were burning when he was explaining things to them. when the Word of God was preached to them, they might have been skeptical on their left brain side of things, but their hearts were burning. So this is a thing. Truth is truth. The like capital T truth is truth. God loves us from the core of our being. We are the created. And this is this, this is kind of like the divine order of things. And Jesus was laying this out to them and it resonated with them deeply. This, and then it we'll finish up here that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. So they're huddled sheltering in place in the upper room, terrified. They were saying the Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. So that, okay. That's when they find out that that's when Cleopas, the B team finds out that Christ has has risen. Uh, then they told what it, then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them and they're breaking other bread so yeah the a team you know the b team shows up and the a team's like you guys christ has risen um and then the b team was like yeah we just saw him on the road and he broke bread blessed it gave it to us and vanished mike drop so um I love there's so much more to this um little story and yeah I I would recommend meditating on this you know it's really a good one and I think a, a big point here is that Christ comes to us you know Christ comes to us in our fear in our terror in our confusion in our long walks where we don't know where we're going or what to do next. When we are faced with sorrow and despair, Christ shows up. And usually when Christ shows up, we don't recognize Christ. We don't until Christ is gone until later. And we're like, Oh my God, our hearts were burning. That was a sacred moment. Or that was, that was Christ. Um, and it's not limited to the bo- the the bodily Jesus right now. You know we there's a element of theosis in that everything is infused. Every all of us are infused with Christ. So Christ is truly everywhere. The thing is, we can hardly ever see Christ in the moment. It usually takes hindsight, looking back. So we can hold strong strong to that. We can we can that's an anchor for us, especially in these pandemical times, knowing that you know what. We our left brains are very confused and we don't know what to do and we're scared and we're scapegoating and we're raising the bar trying to control life like we always do and that's okay Um, but let's just know that there is something deeper going on here there is that god's love is present even at the base of this and all will be well with our soul So, I'll close with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Happy Eastertide Sunday. Hopefully you're doing well, and uh, I'll be back next week. Peace.